Psalms 24. The title of tonight's message is A Generation That Seeks Your Face. A Generation That Seeks Your Face. It's been said before that every generation needs a revival, and it's very obvious, it's very evident that the generation that we're living in needs a revival. We hear oftentimes complaints, we hear oftentimes uh, maybe criticism as one generation is critical of another and blames them for the moral corruption that we live in today. But I want to tell you this, that no matter what generation you are a part of, this is the generation that will see the Lord coming potentially as we look at the events taking place around us. But this also is the generation that needs a revival. And as we go to Psalms chapter 24, we're going to see here that the psalmist David now is wanting to be a part of a generation that seeks the face of God, the generation of Jacob or Yaakov, the generation of Jacob, a generation that's seeking the face or the presence of God. It's been said before, when you see or when you sense the Spirit of God moving, lean into that direction and let the Spirit of God move in your life. So let's go to Psalms 24, verse 1, and we're going to pray, and then we're going to read this psalm. As he's ushering in, he's welcoming in the presence and the glory of God. Let's pray. Lord Heavenly Father, we thank You. We thank You for Your Word. We thank You, Lord, that as we're out here, Lord, outdoors, and we're going to talk about all the earth, its fullness, and creation, Lord, we ask God that You would just minister to us, Tonight, this evening, God, we thank you for your word, God. We pray that we would be the generation of Jacob, the generation that seeks your face, that, that holds on to you by faith and doesn't let go. In Jesus' name we pray. Together we said aloud, strong, amen. It says Psalms 24, verse 1. As here, we read this and we see that David is welcoming the Ark of the Covenant back into Jerusalem. This is a time where the Ark of the Covenant was stolen by the Philistines, by the enemy, but now he's ushering it back into Jerusalem. Notice what he says about the presence of God. He is delighting. He is excited. He is praising the Lord. And look what he says. The earth is the Lord in all of its fullness. The world and those who dwell therein. For he has founded it upon its seas and established it upon its waters. He's saying the Lord has created everything. He is creator, creator of all the earth. He has founded it. He has built it now. And we are stewards now. This is what he wants us to know. That we are stewards of the goodness of God in creation. As we see everything taking place, all the creation and the beautiful wonder of God. Notice this. You are a steward of the goodness of God in creation. And that's how he saw himself. I'm a steward of God's goodness, of his fullness in creation. Now, after having been said that, if God is overall, if God is creator overall, then who can possibly approach him? If this is the God that created the foundations of the heavens and the creations of the earth and, and everything therein, even the people in, belong to him, then notice this, who can approach him? And he's going to talk here from verses 3 to 6, the appropriate approach into the presence of God. The appropriate approach into the presence of God. 
And he asked this question. Notice this. Who may ascend into the hill of the Lord? Who is it that can ascend or who can go into the presence of the Lord? Or who can stand in His holy place? The word holy place means who can stand in His most holy place. Verse 3. Who can go into the presence of the Lord or who can be there in the most holy place? Now notice, this is the appropriate approach into the presence of God. And he says this, He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who has not lifted up his soul to an idol. Who is it that can go into the presence of God? Oh, what is the appropriate approach into the presence of God? Holiness. And this is exactly why he says, You must have clean hands and a pure heart. It reminds us of that song. Give us clean hands, give us pure hearts. Let us not lift our souls to another. Oh God, let us be a generation that seeks seeks your face, O oh God of Jacob. Do you notice how this is where that song comes from? Psalms 24. Who can enter into your presence? He who has clean hands, and notice this, clean hands speaks of actions or speaks of conduct. When he talks about hands, he who has clean actions, clean conduct. He who has clean actions, clean conduct, but also a pure heart. What does it mean to have a pure heart? Godly motives and godly character. So now answer the question, who is it that can appropriately approach the presence of God? He who has a clean actions and clean conduct, and he who also has clean motives and a godly character. Notice this, who does not worship, and notice, who has not lifted up his soul to an idol. This is a person that can go into the presence of God that has not lifted up his soul or his life to idolatry. Do you see that idolatry is not welcomed into the presence of God? In fact, he's saying this is who can enter into the presence of God, the clean hands, the pure hearts, but those who worship the Lord only and have no idols in their lives. Do you notice that you cannot carry your idols and take them into the presence of God? (laughs) That's not true worship. In fact, that's what it says. That person that has no idolatry in their life is those that can walk into the presence of God with clean hands, worshiping the king, nor sworn deceitfully, he says, who have not told lies. The person that comes with a holy character, who does not have idols in their lives, and does not swear or speak deceitfully. Verse 5, it speaks about the blessing. Notice this. He shall receive blessing from the Lord. Now notice this. The blessing is found in the presence of the Lord. But the blessing is also for those with clean hands and pure hearts. Think about how many blessings we rob ourselves of because there's sin taking place in our lives. And not only do we rob ourselves from the blessing, we also rob ourselves from the blessing of being in the presence of God. Now, this is what he's saying now. They will receive a blessing, and that blessing is going to be a right relationship with God. He says this in verse 5, from the Lord in righteousness, from the God of His salvation. What is it gonna, what's the blessing going to be? That when you come to the Lord with clean hands, with a pure heart, that you have not lifted your life or have no idols in your life, that you have not sworn deceitfully or you don't speak lies. Think about this. 
you will have a right relationship with God. Now notice as he goes on in verse 6, and he says this, This is Jacob, the generation of those who seek him, who seek your face. Now I want to ask you today, do you want to be a part of the generation of Jacob? Now what did Jacob do? Why is it that he talks about Jacob now, and he speaks about a generation that seeks the face of God or the presence of God. Do you remember that Jacob? What did he do in the Old Testament? He wrestled with the angel of the Lord now and he held on to God by faith and he didn't let go until he received the blessing. Now when he compares us to Jacob, he's saying, let us be a generation that holds on to the presence of God by faith and doesn't let go until we receive the blessing. That is a type of of generation that seeks the face of God, that holds on by faith, that doesn't let go until we receive the blessing. Now I want to ask you tonight, are you serious about being a generation that seeks the presence of God? Because we're all seeking something. Maybe you're seeking a job or you're seeking a relationship. You're seeking your well-being. But are you seeking the presence of God? Because every blessing is found therein. Every blessing comes from the blessing of being in the presence of God. Do you notice that there is no other real blessing outside of His presence? There isn't. And He's saying, that's why I want to be the generation of Jacob or Jacob. Verse 7, it says, lift up your heads. And this is now in anticipation of the reign of the kingdom of God. This is an anticipation, an expectation as He sees the Ark of the Covenant coming in. In that little cart, and he's just praising God. Do you see, do you remember in, in Samuel when he's dancing around, right? In jubilation, he says, I'll become even more indignified than this. Well, this is the picture of the lyrics of what he was singing now. And he was proclaiming outdoors publicly as he's saying, Lift up your heads, O, o you gates, and be lifted up, you everlasting doors. You know what he's saying? Open up the ancient doors and let the King of Glory enter. <laughs> Open up the doors now. Let the kingdom of God enter or let His glory enter and reign. It says this in verse 4, And the King of glory shall come in. Open the doors so the King of glory can come in. Isn't that a beautiful thing that we can do? We can open the doors and give Him the royal reception that He deserves and let the King of glory come in. Now notice what He says in verse 5. Who is the King of Glory? And this is almost a response. This is one of those songs where you sing a, 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 a line and, and the congregation will respond another line. <laughs> and this is the line that he sings, Who is the King of Glory? And the congregation will respond, The Lord strong and mighty. The Lord mighty in battle. Now think about that. that is the King of Glory that me and you worship. Who's the King of Glory? The, 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 the Lord who is invincible in battle now we are all in a battle right now but do you know that when you sing these lyrics you are saying I am confident because I am on the side of the king of glory who doesn't lose in battle what, what an amazing song to sing he's strong he's powerful he's invincible he doesn't lose in battle and he tells us this again in verse 9 lift up your heads oh you gates lift up your heads look to the Lord and open the gates, lift up you everlasting doors, and the King of glory shall come in. 
How many of you guys want the King of Glory to come in today? Come into your life. That you would open the doors. Lift up your head. Give Him the reception that He deserves. Because He's worthy and He shall come in. Who is the King of Glory? Then He says again, that you would recognize it. The Lord of Hosts. Now this is an, an amazing name of the Lord. The Lord of Hosts. Write this down in your Bible. The Lord of Angels Armies. That's what the Lord of Hosts means. The Lord of Angels Armies. Think about the power in that. The Lord of Hosts. The Lord of Angels Army. He is the King of Glory. The Lord of Heaven's Armies. And, and He's singing this with a confidence now in the power of of God. He's singing this now as a king, King David, as a king of knowing that the king of glory would one day return and his faithful servants, his, his stewards now here on earth will receive a crown of glory. You see how he's waiting in anticipation for the king of glory? Is this how you wait today? Oftentimes we wait for things and we're expecting for things. We are anticipating with great excitement for different people or, or gifts. Have you ever waited for a gift maybe or an order that you placed online and you are waiting for that order? You're, you're making sure that it is the tracking number, that it's almost being delivered. You are excited. You're checking out the window. You're, you cannot wait to get that order. But think about this. Are you in with that same anticipation saying, I cannot wait to open the doors to let the King of Glory come in? Now notice this in chapter 25 of Psalms. There he is trusting God through a difficult journey. And know whether you're here right now or you are watching online, that you are also trusting God. We're all in a difficult journey right now. And he's going to tell us that the help that we need comes from God. I want to say that again because I want you to really catch that the help that you need, it's not going to come from anywhere else but from God. And you're going to see that right now because God's going to rescue David from the certain trouble that he's in. He's going to rescue David from his enemies. Notice this despair or this anxiety that he feels. And he says this in verse 1, To you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. O Lord, to you, I put my trust in you. And he says, I lift up my soul. He's saying, I give you my life. Are you feeling afraid right now? Are you feeling anxious? Are you feeling discouraged? Maybe even depressed? Sing the lyrics of this song and say, Lord, I give you my life. Do you notice how prayer is so important here? It says, Oh my God, I trust in you. Oh Lord, I trust in you. I give you my life. Let me not be ashamed. Why not ashamed? Lord, let my enemies not have victory over me and let me not be ashamed because I put my trust in you. Do you know that when you put your trust in you, you will never be ashamed when you put your trust in the Lord? There are often times when we put our trust in man and then we regret putting our trust in man. We put our trust in resources and then we regret putting our trust in resources. But I want you to know something as we read Psalms 25. When you put your trust in God, you will never regret it. <laughs> You won't regret it because that's where your help comes from. And it says, let my enemies not triumph over me. Let them not have victory over me. Verse 2, indeed, let no one who waits on you will be ashamed. Here it is. No one who is waiting on the Lord will ever 
be ashamed. Why? Because waiting on the Lord, it says almost as equivalent to hoping in the Lord with expectation. No one who trusts in you will ever now be uh, regretting their decision. Let those who let those be ashamed who deal treacherously without cause. But those who really will regret it is those who didn't put their trust in God. You know what the biggest regret is? When you, you don't put your trust in the Lord. That's your biggest regret. Would you rather live your life in devotion or would you rather live your life in regret? There are a lot of times where we look back and we regret a lot of times in our life that we didn't put our trust in God. That we didn't live a life of discipline because it costs me too much to be disciplined. Would you rather live with the with a price of discipline or with the price of regret? Now notice this. Those that do not put their trust in you, they will be ashamed. And I love this here because he's teaching us to trust in God for deliverance. He's teaching us to trust in God for dependency, now to be dependent on God. But also he's teaching us to trust in God for direction. To trust in the Lord for direction. And he's saying, you know what, I know that I don't deserve the Lord's help, but I'm still relying on His goodness and I'm relying on the mercy of God. He goes on, he says, show me, teach me, lead me. Underline that in your Bible, that's what we need today. Show me, Lord. If I'm really going to trust you, then I need you to show me, Lord. Verse 4, show me, God. I'm going through a difficult season. We're all going through a difficult season, God, and you, we need you, Lord, to show us. Do you see how this is all about direction? This is all about navigating through a difficult journey where we are going to have to make difficult decisions, but our direction must come from the Lord. And this is exactly why he says in verse 4, Show me your ways. Show me your path. You wanna, if you want to make sure you don't get lost, what, it, what it exactly is it that you want to be careful that you stay on the path? Because as soon as you get off the path, you're going to get lost. And as he's looking to navigate in God's path, he's saying, Lord, show me the path. I want to see it. Show me the path, oh Lord. Now, here he goes on in verse 4. Teach me, Lord. You see how he's keeping an attitude of humility? Lord, not only show me, but as I'm walking in this path, I want to learn. I want to learn. Are you learning right now anything in the path that God is showing you? You will never learn if you're not asking Him, show me. In fact, he goes deeper than that and he says, Lord, lead me in your truth. Show me, teach me in your path, and lead me in your truth. What is he looking for? He's looking for leadership in his life. A leadership that only comes from the path, that only comes from the way, and only comes from the truth of the Lord. There are a lot of us right now that are very uncertain and ex are experiencing a lot of unrest. Therefore, in our prayer life, in our prayer closet, these are the words that must be proclaimed. Lord, show me, teach me, and lead me. I want this to be a decision that is directed by you. I want to be spirit-led. I don't want to be self-led. I want to be spirit-led. Notice how he goes on and says, You are the God of my salvation. You are the God who saves me. On you I wait. Notice this, all day. Circle all day. Lord, I'm going to wait right now. I'm going to wait five minutes, God. I want you to tell me. Lord, I'm going to wait in my devotional time, 15 minutes and five minutes walking with the Lord. 
And oftentimes we think that's how the Lord is going to show us as we wait on Him for a limited amount of time. No, David is teaching us to learn to wait on the Lord as long as it takes. <laughs> to wait on Him all day long. You know what he's keeping? What kind of attitude he's keeping? He's keeping an attitude that is teachable. He's keeping an attitude that is accountable. And he's keeping an attitude that is faithful to the Lord. Faithful, accountable, and teachable all day long. Point me, Lord, in the road to follow because my hope is in you. And he desperately here needed wisdom to make the right decisions. So that he can avoid those traps, so he can avoid those mistakes, so that he can avoid that heartache and that headache. But think about how many heartaches and headaches we would avoid if we weren't so stubborn to say my way instead of God's way. Here David is saying, I don't want to do it my way. And maybe today you need to hear that. Don't do it your way any longer. Do it God's way. Now notice this. He wants to reach the goal. He wants to reach the goal. Therefore, he must be on the right path. And he goes on in verse 6. Remember, O Lord, your tender mercies and your loving kindness. He says, Lord, contemplate. Call to mind. Lord, take action, not according to who I am. Take action, Lord, on my behalf, according to who you are. You know what he's claiming now in this prayer? The promises of God. There's nothing more that the Lord delights in than when His children say, Lord, according to what you said in your word, Lord, do it. According to the promises that you've told me in your word, Lord, reveal yourself, manifest yourself, redeem me, defend me, remember what you said, Lord. Do you love that He's not looking to say, Lord, I, I know that I deserve it? It's not because of who I am. It's because of who you are, Lord. And He says this, Your faithful love that doesn't fail. Remember that faithful love that doesn't change, that doesn't give up on me. Remember your compassion now, Lord. And not only this, this is what He wants them to remember here. For they are from old. They've been always with me. You have always been with me. And then in verse 7, he says, Do not remember. <laughs> so what does David want the Lord to remember? David wants the Lord to remember or to call to mind or to take action based off of who God is. But David also cries out and says, Lord, don't remember this. Do not remember the sins of my youth nor my transgressions. Lord, don't remember my sins of immaturity. And Lord, don't remember my rebellion as an adult. Do you, do, you, do you see how he's being so honest here? He's coming with confession. According to your mercy, remember me. Lord, remember me according to who you are. For your goodness sake, because of who you are, remember me, Lord. Good and upright is the Lord. Why is the Lord good and upright? It means good and just. God is good because He forgives those who come and confess. But God is upright because He's just, Lord, and He will discipline, the Lord will discipline those that refuse to repent. <laughs> Now, do you see how God is good and just? He claims to the characteristics of the nature of who God is. He's good and He's upright. He teaches the sinner. He guides the humble now. He teaches the way and He forgives now those that come in confession. Therefore, He teaches the sinner in the way. The humble He guides in justice. And the humble He teaches His way. Who does the Lord teach? Who does the Lord lead? The humble. Oftentimes in our life, we want the Lord to lead us in our pride. God doesn't lead us in pride. God leads us in humility. 
God will not show you His way when you come to Him in pride. And here what He's doing is He's praying with an assurance, with a faith. He's also praying with a contrite spirit of repentance. He's praying, asking for forgiveness, confessing His sins. And He goes on in verse 10, He says, All the paths of the Lord are mercy and truth. This is the path of the Lord, is mercy and truth to such, here it says, as keep His covenants and His testimony. God will give mercy. God will give truth or forgiveness now. God will give this to those who obey His commandments. Do you want to be a recipient, a beneficiary of forgiveness of mercy? God gives it to those now who keep or who obey His commandments, His testimonies, His ways, His word, those that are obedient now. And He goes on in verse 11, For your name's sake, O Lord, pardon my iniquity, for it is great. <laughs> you love that honesty in his prayer? Oftentimes we say, Lord, it wasn't really a sin. Lord, I really didn't mean to do that or to say that. No, David said, Lord, forgive my sin. There are many of them. <laughs> this is the kind of heart that the Lord wants. A contrite spirit, a broken spirit. One that doesn't want to justify themselves before the presence of God. And this is what he says, Lord, forgive me. As I honor your name in my confession, Lord, I submit to you so that you can teach me, so that you can guide me, Lord, in your ways. I don't want to be, Lord, arrogant because the moment that you're arrogant, God is silent. When you are humble, the Lord will speak to you. But the moment that you choose to be arrogant, God is going to be silent. So he humbles himself. Humility is not weakness. Notice that. Humility now is strength under control. And what David is saying, he's saying, I'm humbling myself because I want direction from God. Now let's keep reading here, verse 12. Who is the man that fears the Lord? He's going to be talking about the fear of the Lord here. Him shall he teach in the way he chooses. God's going to teach those that fear the Lord. He himself shall dwell in prosperity and goodness. And his descendants shall inherit the earth. That person that fears God is going to prosper and is going to inherit the secret of the Lord is with those who fear Him. And He will show them His covenant. God will show His Word. God will reveal now to those now, He's saying here in verse 14, to those who fear Him. Now there's two promises here in verses 13 and verse 14 to those that fear the Lord. First is that those that fear the Lord, God will give them an inheritance and prosperity. Now, do you see that? But in verse 14 it says, those who fear the Lord... God also will reveal Himself to them. Do you see that every blessing begins with fear of the Lord? With fear of the Lord. And that's exactly what He's showing here in verse 13 and verse 14. Now from verses 15 and on, He's going to talk about the Lord giving Him victory over six areas of His life. The Lord giving Him victory over six areas of His life. I'm going to give them to you and I want you to take note of these because the first one is... Lord, give me victory over, number one, danger. Everybody's scared right now for their safety. But here he's praying, Lord, give me victory over my life or keep me safe when it comes to danger. <laughs> when it comes to danger. And you see that he's bringing his safety into the presence of God and saying, Lord, I know that the safest place to be in, the safest place to be in is not when I'm in control. The safest place to be in is when I'm in the hands of God. You can do whatever you want to try to keep you safe. 
But the safest place to be in is in the will of God, in the hand of God. Now notice how it says this, verse 15, My eyes are ever toward the Lord. He shall pluck my feet out of the net. Notice this, the Lord is protecting me from danger. He's going to pluck my feet. He's going to remove my feet from any type of trap. He's protecting me over danger. Now verse 16, Turn yourself to me and have mercy on me, for I am desolate. God's giving him victory, number two, because he feels lonely. There's a lot of people today that feel lonely. And the Lord here is protecting him because he feels that he is in danger. And then he also feels that he's lonely. He's desolate, Lord. Have mercy on me. Lord, turn to me. I'm in deep distress. I need you. I'm overwhelmed, Lord. Turn to me because I'm desolate. I feel alone. I feel also afflicted now. Notice here that in verse 16, he feels not only alone, but he also feels that he's suffering. You see, there's a lot of people that feel alone and they're suffering right now. And this is a part of the, the package that comes with following the Lord. In fact, it, it is during times like these that more people than ever feel alone. And they feel now afflicted. Afflicted emotionally, afflicted spiritually, afflicted even physically. But here David is saying one thing, Lord, keep me from danger and watch over me because I feel alone. Now notice as he goes on in verse 17, the troubles of my heart have enlarged. Bring me out of my distress. Is that your prayer today? Lord, the troubles have gotten worse. I thought things were going to get better. They're only getting worse. And notice this. Lord, protect me because I have a, this is the third one, a broken heart. Do you notice how it says here, my heart has enlarged. I have a broken heart now, Lord. Minister to this need. Minister to the fact that I think I'm in danger. Minister to the fact that I feel now that I'm alone. That I have a broken heart. Now look at this in verse 18. Look at my affliction and my pain and forgive all my sins. He's looking back in regret. Number four, Lord, give me victory over my past. Give me victory over my past. You know why a lot of people can't live in victory today? It's because they're in bondage to their past. They have not let go of the sin, that past life that they used to live in. Therefore, they can't step into everything that God has for them. And you notice as he goes on in verse 18 now, as we continue reading verse 18 and 19, 19 now, Consider my enemies, for they are many, and they hate me with cruel hatred. Lord, consider now, because I am afraid. Fifth thing, fear. Lord, I'm afraid. How many of you are afraid today? A lot of us are experiencing fear. And the David is saying here, Lord, consider my enemies. Look at my enemies. Look what I have to put up with. I am afraid, God. Give me victory, Lord. Number five, fear now. And notice here, they hate me with cruel hatred. Verse 20, as we continue to see this, keep my soul, deliver me. Let me not be ashamed, for I put my trust in you. Lord, I'm going to put my trust in you, and I know I'm not going to regret that. I know that I'm not going to regret that. Verse 21 and 22, let my integrity and uprightness preserve me. You know what preserves you? What keeps you? What sustains you? Integrity also and uprightness. Now we love this here because he's going to tell us this, that he does one thing. For I wait for you. Not only is he waiting on the Lord, I trust in you. Verse 20, but verse 
21, I wait for you. I trust in you, and as I'm trusting, I'm also patiently waiting. So you really know when someone is trusting in God, when they're willing to wait. <laughs> if you're not willing to wait, then you're not really trusting in the Lord. You're trusting in your circumstance, in your own ability to get you out of the trouble. But when you're saying, I am willing to wait on the Lord, then what you're saying is, and I, I am truly trusting and expecting in the Lord. And he says, redeem me, O God, out of their troubles. Verse 22. What does he want? He wants redemption or deliverance or victory over despair. Despair. So what is it that you see in David's life? You see, number one, that he is now facing danger. He's facing loneliness. He has a broken heart. He also has regrets. And he's looking at the past, asking the Lord to heal him on that. He also is walking with fear. You also see despair now or anxiety. But he's taking it all to the Lord so that he can be ministered to. He's fellowshipping with God so that he can be ministered to. Now I want to tell you something. If you're looking in your life for your entire life to be entertained, then your needs will not be ministered to. And I think the problem with the generation today, it's not a generation that seeks the face of God. It's a generation that wants to seek entertainment. You want to see what entertains you, what catches your attention. And I'm going to tell you something. Entertainment might grab your attention, but it will never minister to you. Entertainment might seem like it's something that is attractive or alluring, but it's going to get old. And one day it will not be entertaining anymore. And one day it will not minister to the hurting need that you have in your heart. The only thing that will minister to you is the presence of God. It's the presence of God. Now let's read here. In only 12 verses, we're going to go through them quickly, as he prays for deliverance. Because he's protesting his innocence now, and he's running away from his son Absalom. His son was chasing him. His own family didn't like him. But as he's going through a trial, look what he does in verse 1. Vindicate me, O Lord, for I walked in my integrity. I've also trusted in the Lord. I won't slip. Vindicate me. Lord, I'm in a trial. Therefore, Lord, you... Declare me innocent. Deliver me. That's my prayer. This is a prayer now of a forgiven sinner living under the fear of God. And he's saying, vindicate me. Vindicate means, Lord, you give me justice. You defend my reputation. They're coming after me. So, Lord, you vindicate me. Declare me innocent, Lord. Only you can do that. Do you know nobody else can do that, can vindicate you? It's so awesome when you don't try to defend yourself. When maybe somebody comes at you, and maybe they come at you maybe a little bit aggressive, or they speak of you in an evil way, and then you don't try to defend yourself, and the Lord Himself vindicates you. He protects your reputation, because the Lord knows your motive. And it says here, here for His name's sake, He trusted in the Lord. I won't slip. I'm not going to fall, Lord. I'm, I'm going to stand firm, in fact. The opposite of slipping is that I'm standing firm. I'm trusting in Him and I'm standing firm. Now notice this. Not only did He say, vindicate me, but verse 2, He says, examine me. How, when was the last time you were in a trial and you said, Lord, you give me justice, but Lord, also you put me on trial and you examine my heart. I love this because He says, examine me, O Lord, improve me. Try my mind and my heart. Notice this. Try my mind and my heart. This is almost as He's saying, Lord, I'm innocent. Put me on trial. Cross 
examine me now, test the motivation of my heart. And almost, he's almost saying this, this word that he's saying, examine me, it's almost as the word that he's using as, as if one would test metals in the fire to see the true value now of now those metals. Lord, test my character and see the true value of my character. Isn't this amazing that he's saying, Lord, I want you to determine the true value of my character in the trial? Why? Because when we're wronged, right? Oftentimes what we want to do is defend ourselves. But in fact, and instead of defending himself, he's saying, Lord, I'm going to be open in the presence of God. I'm going to be transparent, Lord. I want you to show me, Lord. Search me, examine me for the purpose of determining my true character. Do you know that in times like this, we see what our true character is? The value of our character? Now he says from verse 3 to 5, as we continue reading, For your loving kindness is before me, and I have walked in your truth. I have not sat, notice this, in idolatrous mortals, with idolatrous mortals, nor will I go in with hypocrites. I have hated the assembly of evildoers, and I will not sit with the wicked. Do you see here that he's saying, Lord, as you examine me, remember me. Remember that I will not, and I have not, as I'm aware of your loving kindness, as I'm aware of your truth, that I did not walk, I didn't sit, and I did not go with the wicked, with the hypocrite. I hated that assembly. I hated that assembly. I didn't want to be a part of it. I, want to, I didn't want to be around evildoers. I remember talking to somebody, you know, at church, and I said, hey, you know, this young gal, and said, hey, this is a flyer. Invite your friends to come out to this event here at church. And this guy looked at me, oh, you know what? Well, thank you so much, but none of my friends would, would ever come to this or come to church. Well, if none of your friends will ever come to church, then you need to get some new friends. <laughs> you need to get friends that will come to church so that you can grow and you can be a part of the family of God. Do you see what he's saying? I don't want to be in that assembly. I want to be in this assembly. I'm not going to go and hang out. I'm not going to walk. I'm not going to sit because that's going to change my mentality and my values and, and, and the godly now character that I have. I'm not in the presence of the disobedience. I'm in the presence of God. Notice that. I want to maintain close fellowship with God. And if I want to, I, I want, if I want to maintain a close fellowship with the world, it's going to guarantee me now walking away from the Lord. The closer you get to the, in the world or to the world, the farther you get from the Lord. Now notice in verse 6, I will wash my hands in innocence. I will go about your altar, O Lord, in innocence. I will go with clean hands. But notice how his attitude is in verse 7 and verse 8. I, I just wanted to get to these verses today because they speak to our time right now. They're so prophetic to what we're living in. I'm going to come with clean hands and innocent hands. There's nothing, Lord. I'm going to come with clean hands. But look what it says. I will go about your altar, O Lord. I'm going to go straight to your altar. I'm going to go straight into your presence. And notice this in verse 7 and 8, that I may proclaim with the voice of thanksgiving the attitude of gratitude. Yes, Lord, I can feel the pressure, but I also and I always will remain with an attitude of thanksgiving. Not only did he say, I'm going to proclaim, but he says, look, it, I'm going to proclaim, I'm going to sing it out, I'm going to publicly declare now I'm a publicly and faithfully declare thanksgiving and tell of all your wondrous works, Lord. This is his attitude. 
But notice where he's going to do this. Where is he going to do this? Where is David going to publicly declare of all the wonderful works of God and have an attitude of gratitude? Look at this in verse 8. Lord, I have loved your habitation of your house. Lord, I'm going to go and proclaim while I'm in the trial, while I'm suffering, while I'm, being, while I'm running for my life. Well, my safety is at jeopardy. I'm going to go into your house, into your habitation. You know what the word habitation means? I'm going to go straight into your sanctuary. <laughs> Isn't this amazing here? What is he declaring? What is he showing us now? That God has a specific place where he wants to show and reveal to us his glory. That can be personal in our homes. Absolutely. But hear what David is saying in verse 8. I have loved your habitation. I just love your presence, God. In fact, and your habitation is in your house. Is in your house. There is no safer place. And you're going to see this in chapter 27. We're not going to go to chapter 27 tonight. But you're going to see that there is no safer place than in the house of God. Do you think that God will ever put you in danger while you're in his house? <laughs> in fact, even if, <laughs> even if, like in the book of Acts, there are expenses or there, there, we're subject to it. Guess what? What an example in the book of Acts. I love it. It's so biblical. It's not even from me. This has nothing to do with me. This is all Bible. That in the book of Acts, you notice this, that we get an encouragement that a healthy, persecuted church absolutely craved every opportunity that they can have to get together and to worship together, they would do it. Notice this, even if they had to do it in the secret. Even if they had to do it in the secret. Do you notice how the church, it, 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 this is a healthy example to follow even the days that we're living in today. I get so excited when I knew we were going to meet outside. <laughs> Because I feel like we're like the book of Acts now. Right? I think the problem is that when we're called to take a little step of faith, and it's at, at a cost of my comfort, at a cost of my safety, then I don't want to do that no more. Because we've been catered to all our lives that this is all about you, it's all about you, it's all about you. So when I have to deny myself a little bit to go to the house of God, then no, I'm not going to do that now. <laughs> think about what would happen if the first church decided to do that. The first church said, I know we're being persecuted. We're going to meet in the secret. Did you know that there are churches today that are meeting in the secret in China? You know there are churches right now that, are, that, that maybe they're going into prison for declaring the name of the Lord? That they're saying, if you don't renounce Jesus, then you're going to go to prison? I think it's so important here how, how he is in love now into that with the house of God and the purpose of it notice this the purpose of us meeting together and gathering together even tonight is so that we can really stimulate the full expression of the body of Christ this is the full expression of the body of Christ you will never experience the full expression or embodiment of the body of Christ if you are dismembered do you know that if something is dismembered it's no longer a body Therefore, we're called to be together as a full expression of the body of Christ. And I want to tell you, even the days that we live in, don't fall into the temptation to not gather with the church or the believers because of personal comfort. It will affect your spiritual walk. You will become discouraged, disengaged, and pretty soon, guess what you will become? Very 
critical of your brothers. Do not do that. We are not going to retreat now. We are going to advance in the name of Jesus. Amen, church. Amen, church. Amen. We're going to advance in the name of Jesus, especially, especially when we're living in a time where now public worship or the gathering is de-emphasized. It's not that important. You know, it, it, online church is a beautiful tool. But the moment that we started meeting online, there's something happened to the Christian soul and light in the world. It no longer had the power that it once did. Because we decided that we can be a body that are dismembered. And that was okay. There's no strength in that. There's a season for it. But we're called to do this now. Right? We're called to be together in faithful public now worship. Notice how he goes on and he continues to read this. I love this because this is all Bible. It says here in verse 9. As we continue to read this psalm. Do not gather my soul with sinners or my life with bloodthirsty men. And whose hands is the sinners of skin. Whose right hand is full of bribes. Lord, don't let me be trapped or suffer with those that are actually wicked and sinners. It says verse 11 and 12. But as for me, they might do this. But as for me. He has a laser focus. Have you ever seen a laser go a laser beam? It's straight. It's path. It doesn't matter what's happening. That laser is going one direction and one direction only. He's saying, Lord, do not judge me with the sinners in verse 9 and 10, whose hands are full of wickedness. But number of verse 11, it says, But as for me, I will walk in my integrity. Redeem me and be merciful to me. Don't include me in their judgment. But in contrast, as for me now, the difference as for me now, it says, Lord, I'm going to continue to walk in integrity. I'm going to continue to walk in integrity. Redeem me and be merciful to me. I love this now. Rescue me. Show me. Save me now. Let me be not distracted. Let me be devoted. But as for me, there are too many times that we're focused on what that person's going to say. No matter what that person's going to say. You're not accountable to that person. You're accountable to God. <laughs> and we want to be God-pleasers, especially in this time. Especially. Would you rather be liked or respected? Would you rather be admired or approved? Which one is it? Because here he's saying, Lord, I'm going to walk in integrity, redeem me, and be merciful, be merciful to me. And in verse 12, as we end tonight, it says, My foot stands in an even place. I love this. My foot stands. I am standing on solid ground. I'm standing on level ground. And I will publicly, look at it says, in an even place and in the congregation. And in the congregation again. Do you see that he's talking? He, I mean, this, this could have not been planned. <laughs> this is of the Lord. In the congregation, I will bless the Lord. Well, I can praise Him on my own. You can. But you're also called, biblically, between you and God, to bless Him in the congregation. In the congregation, look what He says. I am going to stand on level ground and I will praise Him. Look at what His desire was. His desire was to live in the presence of God and to wait in the presence of God. I'm going to tell you this. No time is ever wasted in the will of God. And I think somebody needs to hear that tonight. No time is ever wasted waiting in the will of God. 
We oftentimes think, well, you know what, I'm wasting time just waiting. No time is ever wasted when you're in the will of God. Can we stand right now and publicly in the congregation praise Him right now? Even in the trial, yes, I will praise Him. This is amazing. Because this is David not speaking about a time where everything was going well. He's speaking about a time where things are not going well. And he's still going to praise the Lord. He's saying, Lord, I'm going to be open before you. Examine me. I'm going to be open. Examine me. Lord, I'm going to remember, Lord, your love, your goodness, your loving kindness. I'm going to refuse the temptation of trying to get even. I'm going to maintain an attitude of gratitude, of thanksgiving, Lord. I'm going to be faithful when it comes to my public worship. Notice this. This is coming straight from the Word. And I will patiently stand and wait for the Lord. Do you know that there's nothing more beautiful than patiently waiting and standing for the Lord? And that's what we're going to do today. Let's go ahead and pray as we sing this last song tonight and close as well in worship. Lord, Heavenly Father, we thank You, Lord, for Your Word. It's true. It's living and it is powerful. We're going to praise you in the congregation, Lord. We thank you, Lord, because we will never regret, Lord, being in your presence. We will never regret one day in your house. <laughs> the psalmist said it's better to be one day in his house than a thousand times anywhere else. And today, Lord, we'd rather be here than anywhere else. And we ask, Lord, for the church that it would rather be here than anywhere else, than a thousand times elsewhere, God. We thank you, Lord. We praise you. Give us a mind to receive from you. It is in Jesus' name we pray. Together we said, church.